We're busy with a series called Miracles. Uh, last week we did a short introductory note on miracles being centered around Jesus, centered around his kingdom, and centered around his mission rather than centered around our needs. Y'all remember that? And even though God's miracles often involve addressing our needs, and we're going to talk more about that today, um, the core principle that we need to understand when we're pursuing God's powerful uh, intervention in our lives, which is what the Bible says miracles are, that we do so not with selfish intent, to just use on our own you know, selfish desires, but that we have that Christ-centered mindset, which is also one of our values, is to really understand His kingdom and mission first and center our lives around Him and His work here on earth, and then know that, hey, everything we will need will be added to us in that, in that uh, way of doing life. So <clears throat> we believe that God still intervenes today with miracles, right? How, how, do you believe in miracles? That's the question. I believe that God still intervenes today with miracles to bless people and to show his glory to this world. God is still in the business of showing himself strong on behalf of us to do two things, glorify him, to let us understand him, know him better, and then second is to let him be known for us to be able to tell other people what great things he had done for us. So we're going to head into a series, um, um, text, uh, series of texts that comes from the book of John. Okay, um, And some of the big ideas that we're going to advance in this series is that God's still doing miracles. He loves to cause miracles to testify to his own word, to confirm his own word. Um, he demonstrates his power to show his love to the world, and he does that through us. God wants to perform miracles through us. And then his miraculous ways are always tied to advancing belief in him. Allowing people to get their obstacles to faith, to trust in his goodness. And like we sang, to know for themselves that he is good. So like we said, the dictionary definition of miracle is a divine intervention in human affairs. But like we will see today, that intervention isn't purely just, you know, oh, whatever will be, will be approach. We have to understand how the kingdom of God interacts with our physical reality in order for us to be a beneficiary of these miracles and of this intervention. So right now, I would like to ask you to get out your Bible. If it's on a device, it doesn't matter. Just get it out right now. But I want to encourage y'all, okay? And so get me out today. I want to I I present something to us. Because I know that this is going to be really good for each and every one of us. I want to encourage y'all to get a paper Bible again. Okay. So I didn't bring mine today because I don't want anybody to feel judged. But from next week, I'm going to start bringing my paper Bible again. Okay. But listen, I read up on this. Okay. And so, you know. <laughs> ignoring the danger of just sounding oh, like an old school, you know, like an old fart. I, I want to adva- I want to I want to motivate why I'm saying this. Okay, and I want you to listen to me, especially if you're a young person. Yeah. Okay. If you're like under the age of like forty. 40. <laughs> what a save! <laughs> I'm not just saying this because I want to try and be old school or because I want to just, you know, 
be funny. I, I actually read up on this. And I read that our memory retention is far greater, right? Far greater when we're actually handling the paper and when we're making notes on the paper that we are handling, that we're interacting with. When we're underlining things, when you're bringing a highlight. So I want to invite you from next week to start, try, 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 bring a paper Bible with a highlighter or a pen or a something so that you can actually start jotting down things that you feel the Holy Spirit is saying to you through the message. Okay, just make a little note of that. Here's the second thing that happens, they say. They say when you read your Bible and you come across those old notes again, you remember moments you remember things that the Holy Spirit told you when you were in His presence. It's like, like God told the Israelites that certain injunctions to build monuments. Why? Because He wanted them to remember things that He had done. Right? So I would like to encourage us to start building little monuments of things that Holy Spirit tells us while we're here in the service. Okay? Number one, you're going to retain far more of what is being said and being taught. Second, when you come across it again, it's going to be like a reminder of what God has told you, things that he asked you about to do, or just revelation that he shared with you in those moments. And they're going to be a refreshing of your faith, a reminder of, of just the closeness that you had with him in that moment. And I believe it's going to cause us to slowly but surely grow our, um, our, our experience of God more tangibly, okay? So I love taking out old Bibles, like Bibles that I used in my student years. I used to do this all the time. And I would read the things that I wrote as a, as, as, as a student, as a 17, 18-year-old guy, writing down things that I felt the God shared with me while the, you know, the, the minister was preaching. Um, I love going over those things. I'm a little bit sentimental like that also. But bottom line is I, I see my own growth in that. I see thoughts and perspectives I had when I was young and how I grew and how they have advanced now that I'm slightly more mature, okay? So I know the experience it gives you is going to be awesome. And so if you will follow me this year in one thing, please get a paper Bible <laughs> and a pen or a highlighter and stop bringing that back to church. Now, if you choose not to do this, I love you. I love you. Just keep coming and keep enjoying the presence of God. There'll be no judgment. And we're not going to have the holy club that has the Bibles and the unholy club that are still like, you know, needing to get there. None of that's going to happen, okay? And if you thought that it was like that in your, in your previous church, I'm sorry about that. that I know that that has been a thing before. Um, uh, you know, you don't have to all have the same bag. You don't have to. It's not, we're not trying to start a fad, <laughs> I'm trying to get y'all in the Bible, okay? All right. <clears throat> so today, in your Bible, where you are at there, I'm in the ESV, the English Standard Version, um, and you can read with me from in John 2. John 2. We're going to spend time in this text today, and we're only going to spend time in this text, a couple of verses in this text for the whole message. So it's worth your while to just go there. If you can make notes on your um, version app or something, you can highlight stuff, that's another way to do it. Um, so I just want to encourage you to actually interact with your Bible while you are in church here with us, even though it's on the screen. And if you don't have anything, and always for people that don't have something, I came for the first. 
time or they forgot or whatever, it'll still be on the screen, so don't worry about that. Let's go. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana, that's a city's name, in Galilee, that's a region. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, just do whatever he tells you to do. <laughs> it's, like, it's almost like she didn't hear him. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Right? So more or less that size. And they filled them up to the brim, and he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water that has now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who drew it knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom over and said, come see. Come on, y'all. That was a joke. That was really funny. I thought that was funny. <laughs> come see. It's like I'm trying to be Cajun. <laughs> y'all are giving me a hard time today. Oh, thank you. I'll take that. <clears throat> so he said to him, everyone normally serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then they serve the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. And it manifested his, and, and through that manifested his glory. And it says, and his disciples believed in him. His disciples believed in him. So just some background and observations from the story. It takes place in like right in the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. He has not done any public ministry up to this point. Um, and it says it's on the third day, which is an interesting point, because the first day would normally be the day after the seventh day, which was the Sabbath. So you can roughly guess it was probably a, a Tuesday, right? A Tuesday. So up to this point, the only disciples that we know were following Jesus were um, Peter, it was Philip, and Nathaniel. Okay, so, <clears throat> and the story takes place in a slightly removed from where Jesus met Nathaniel. Just a couple of verses before in the previous chapter, Jesus meets Nathaniel on a retreat and tells him, Look, you're a great guy. Um, and Nathaniel says to him, Wow, you're the Son of God, because Jesus gave him a word of knowledge. He, uh, he, he spoke to him about a situation in his past that Jesus knew about prophetically or just, you know, because he was, he, he was God. Um, and Nathaniel recognized that on Jesus and says, wow, you're the son of God. So Jesus said to him, <laughs> you, you say that because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? Bro, you're going to see way more than this. You're going to see heaven open. You're going to see angels descending. Um, <laughs> on the son of on the son of man and so jesus paints this picture of this of this great you know v visions and and, and things that are going to happen with his ministries and and you you kind of this chapter one ends with this expectation that whoa jesus is going to go big and then the next minute you find yourself at a wedding <laughs> it's like the scene don't fit the expectation of where the previous chapter ends off you think, okay, now Jesus is going to just start going, and, 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 and no. 
Jesus just goes back to normal. Kind of like Mondays. <laughs> right? We're here at church and like the preacher you know, just encourages us and he gets us all like, yes, Jesus, yes, God, we're going to do this, change the world. And then Monday, I'm late for work. <laughs> I'm sitting all the way to work. I'm sorry, Jesus. Normal. Back to normal. The beauty of this is that Jesus' first miracle wasn't in the awesome. It was in the normal. So what's interesting is that, you know, <laughs> the lack of alcohol will be presented as a problem from a biblical perspective. <laughs> That's super normal, right? Um, <clears throat> you'd think that would be a problem at a frat house party or, you know, or, a <laughs> or some rave or something. Like, bruh, the booze is done, man. Let's, let's bounce. We've got to find a joint that has something to offer. <laughs> you would think that, you know, that would be rather seen. And yet, Jesus does not contradict the problem of the moment. And it actually warrants for us to just look into it a little deeper. Why is the lack of wine an issue? And why does Jesus even address that? So in verse 3, Jesus' mother comes to him and says to him, look, the wine ran out. Now when I think of miracles, you know, if I, <laughs> if I need to ask for a miracle... You know, <laughs> the lack of wine is going to be like low on the priority list for me um, as something that I'm going to, you know, ask Jesus to do. And um, Yet there's something about this situation and Jesus' mother's request to him that just activates him to start doing something about it. Now, we do have to recognize that in those days, weddings were a little different from today. Um, they lasted for instance, about a week, right? And so as the host of a wedding, you had to host people uh, for about a week. And so it was a huge, huge undertaking to actually do a wedding. And if the week wasn't done yet and you ran out of anything that was used to host, it was considered like a real social catastrophe. Um, like you do not run out. Some of y'all Cajun cooks know you do not run out. Okay, rather have too much than too little. Um, and so I've learned how to, you know, kind of like gauge, okay, how many people are we gonna be? I'll be 40, all right, tell them to cook for 30. Because <laughs> I know it's gonna be enough <laughs> for 40 when you cook for 30. <clears throat> And, uh, and Jesus is almost like, I mean, why do I have to deal with this? This is, this is not my time to start revealing my glory to the world. And it's interesting that his mother does something that activates him. She, okay, I don't, want to get in, I don't want to get into it too fast, but her, his mother does something real amazing. We can really, really learn as Christians. We can really learn from, from Mary in this, in this minute. Now, we know that she was a woman of faith and that she 
um, right from the get-go, you know, responded by faith to, you know, the announcement about being, you know, uh, with child, etc. all that. She was, but what did that faith cause her to do that caused Jesus to activate? Okay, we'll, we'll look into that. But it's amazing how, you know, when you look at our lives and you consider the normality of our lives, we often think that, you know, the, 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 the power of God is only going to show up when there's a great display of worship first and when there's a great display, you know, of uh, people bringing sacrifices or something. And yet in this miracle, I believe the Bible wants to tell us that Jesus wants to show up for you in your normal. Jesus wants you to know that he's not only going to wait for the spectacular moments, he's with you everywhere. And so it leads me to this point that God sees our problems as opportunities to reveal his glory. Sometimes we think that our, our problems are inconveniences to God. So this was an embarrassing problem. This person did not anticipate something right. And, and so it's going to lead to an embarrassment. And, and in those moments where we kind of like feel that we're at fault, don't we sometimes just feel too bad even to go to Jesus with it? It's like, I mean, I caused this anyways. So, you know, I don't even know if this is something that I can bring to God. Have you ever felt that, you know, you don't want to bother God with mundane issues or just with normal issues. This seemed to be one of those moments and, and, and yet Jesus' response to the moment says something entirely different to what we can take home today. Your problems are not inconveniences. They're opportunities for God to make himself known to you. They're opportunities for you to get to know him better and they're opportunities for him to be glorified. So, I believe God is inviting us to reframe the way we see problems entirely. The way we see problems normally is that they're, they're problems, not opportunities. And so if we can reframe our thinking to see our own mundane, everyday problems as opportunities to get to know God better, it'll help us to respond in ways like Mary did, rather than what we usually do to kind of draw back and just kind of go, oh, I got to take care of this myself. I got to go first fix this before I come to God. No, God actually says, I just need you to come to me from the get-go. And what we will see is like, when God starts acting on our normal problems, and he becomes a part of our everyday reality. It builds our faith. It reveals his amazingness to us in great ways. That builds our faith in him. It provokes us to believe in him more. It provokes us to want to know him better and to trust him more. So what we got to understand about God and the kingdom of God is that God is super attentive to our needs, our emotions. God is absolutely aware of where we're at. And the Bible says he draws close to those who are of a, a broken heart and a contrite spirit. In other words, God's response to our emotions, to our need, to our problems, is to come with comfort and with presence, affirming presence. That's his response. He draws near to us. 
He doesn't ignore us. He doesn't stand aloof. He doesn't, you know, wait for us to fix everything before he acts. No, he draws near immediately. So you got to understand the Bible says, he's my ever-present help in time of need, that when you have a need, you can expect that he is close. But remember, God is never more present than he is right now. And tomorrow morning when you wake up and you feel like a ton of bricks hit you, God cannot be more present here than he is there because he's omnipresent. There's no variation in the levels of God's presence. And I know in the, sometimes in the, the, the charismatic world, uh, we say, oh, the presence of God was there that night. No, no, no. I think what happened was our awareness was tuned into his presence. We're, un, we're, vari- we're the variable. He's the constant. He's always there. And so what needs to happen is we need to switch on our awareness of him, right? And so what we got to understand is like when we have a need, all we need to do is just switch our attention away from the problem to the opportunity that we're going to have to get to know him better. Okay? And that will learn us to trust in him more, which brings me to the point of saying that even though God responds to our needs with drawing closer and having compassion and covering and protecting, he does not act on our behalf just because we have a need. God acts on our behalf when we step out in faith. Faith is what activates him to work work on our behalf, not needs. And so therefore, our problems become for us an opportunity to deepen our faith, our trust in him. God is activated by trust. He said, Lord, even though this is going on, I know that you are working a greater thing. Even though my plans are working out the way I wanted them to work out, now I'm going to stay in trust. I'm going to believe and I'm going to keep on following you because I know this is going to deepen my understanding of who you are and it's going to deepen my trust in you. It's an opportunity to trust him more. So we don't exactly know why Mary was so invested in this issue. Okay? So we do know that they were invited. So it could be that they were slightly closer to the family than, than others. Um, but we know that she was invested. We also know that Jesus was invited. Um, and so there could have been uh, closest to the, to, the, to the people that, that, that made them be more worried about the social dilemma that the family there was facing. But regardless, that did not activate Jesus. When his mother comes to him at first, he says, the wine's done. And he goes, what's that, what's that, what's that got to do with me? The need did not activate Jesus. What activated Jesus? Mary. Mary looked at the servants and said to them, do what he tells you. And then she leaves. <laughs> and so Jesus is there. And all the servants go. <laughs> and he's like, <sighs> okay. <laughs> I have to do something about this now. Faith activated Jesus. Mary did a couple of things. And it's under the point of we need to start actively seeking him in our problems. 
Okay? It's not enough for us just to go like, oh, I have a problem. It's an opportunity to know God. It's going to require you to press into Jesus, to seek him out. Now, I know sometimes we have a problem. We go, oh, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. But that's not what seeking out means. Mary did not just go, oh, I wish my son would do something about this. I wish my son would do something about this. No, no, no. She sought him out. She came to him. First thing, she came to him and she presented him with the problem. She said to him, here's the problem. She described it perfectly. God wants us to come to him with our problem. He does. He wants us to clearly describe to him. Sometimes when we don't clearly describe our problem, then we don't even know, how to, we don't even know what needs to get fixed. And it, it, it does point to the fact that, you know, God loves us to be specific about what we're praying about. I don't want to make a big point about that, but I think it helps us if we're clear also about what is it that we're wanting God to do. Here's the great thing about specific prayers. If they get answered, you know. You know. When they get answered, you know, and it has all the great effects of understanding a bit about God through what he did for you. Remember we talked about the I am last week? I am simply who you need me to be as we journey together. So if you're going to know me, you got to walk with me. And you got to include me in that journey constantly so that when I do something, you go, oh, you are provider. Oh, you are healer. Oh, you are comforter. Now, we have the great benefit of Scripture to tell us those things, but it's unfortunate that sometimes that knowledge gets stuck here and it doesn't drop down to here. But if you start experiencing him in trouble as the solution for that trouble, all of a sudden that knowledge becomes experience. And that develops trust. Okay. Actively seeking means coming to him with the problem, being clear about it. The second thing is Jesus told them what to do. In, 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 in verse 6 to 8, he says, Now there were six stone jars used for purification rites. He said to them, Fill these jars. And they filled them up to the brim. There's a point to be made about they could have filled it up halfway. But no, they didn't do that. They filled it up to the brim, talking about not skimping on obedience, not going, oh, half measure on obedience, but really truly responding to what God says in obedience. Then Jesus said, take water, bring it to the person. So if you're a servant and you're about to bring out wine and you give it to the master servant who is your boss, who drinks of it and finds it to be water, you think he's going to look kindly on you? So these servants were obeying almost at the you know, threat of their own well-being being, in, uh, being threatened. So they had to trust Jesus. So they brought the water, obedience, they brought it. And obviously the miracle takes place. And they know what happened. So the amazing thing is, as they obeyed Christ, they saw the miracle. The people that were out there, they didn't even see the miracle. And it's amazing that the Bible doesn't even say that, oh, Jesus was acknowledged, you know, as being the hero of the day. No, but you know what the people, so, so nobody experienced Jesus but the people that actually presented with a problem, the people that obeyed him as he brought the solution. And that's, that's, that's important, y'all. 
Because there are so many people out there that believe that this life, you know, problem-free life is, 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 is the most desirable life. I will put it to you that you, you get to know very little of God in a problem-free life. God did not design this life to be problem-free for Christians. He designed it to be problem-proof. And he will help you to work through every single problem. But there's so much to be actually gained once we turn our perspective away from problems being inconveniences to it being opportunities to know God, learn to trust him. If we will seek him actively by being clear, obeying him. And then the last thing, um, realizing that God wants us to co-labor with him. It's not just a matter of God wanting you to sit back and say, okay, you know, whatever will be, will be. For you to see the miraculous works of God in your life, there is a need and an invitation from God to co-labor on it. So sometimes we think, and it's erroneous to think that, okay, you know, um, God's going to do everything. God's got this. But it's actually wrong theology to think that God's got this because he designed this whole world with human interaction in mind. And even in his divine intervention in making water into vine, wine, he invited humans' interaction. So if we can't go like, oh, my dad's not saved, so I prayed, so now God's going to save him. No, it might require you sharing the gospel with him. I don't have work. I prayed. Now work will just fall into my lap. No, you, know, you probably have to go out and search for work. And trust God and hear from him. Who do I call? Link me with people. Have some conversations. Talk to people. Get you a LinkedIn profile. Tell people out there, hey, I'm out open for work. If you have anxiety about your future, okay, I'll pray so now I can just be lazy and just wait till my ship comes in. No, 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 no. You've got to act on the invitation to co-labor and to participate in the co-creation of it. Now, we think of that as just being normal. <laughs> Trust me. Trust me. People who have tried and tried and tried and tried know that normal life, things don't just work out always in normal life. If you trust God and you bring him into the equation, miracles happen. But it's an invitation for you to co-labor with him as well. It's not a matter of you can just sit over and say, okay, you know, now God's going to fix everything. It's the basic principle we all understand. If you're stressing about an assignment or a test, you can't just pray and think that you're going to get a good result. You actually have to go study. You actually have to put in the hours to prepare the assignment. And it's, God's designed this place that way. It's not us taking, oh, okay, so it's actually just me doing it, right? No, 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 no. Listen, you can try on your own strength to do that, and you'll see so many times that your own strength do not make the cut. But when you bring God into that equation, the miraculous can happen. Seemingly impossible situations can be turned around. But keep obeying and keep collaborating with him as the point that we see here in this, in this text. And then the last point is that Jesus was the one that's performing the miracle. Yes, the servants put water in the, in the jars. Yes, they drew out. Yes, they brought it. All acts of faith. But none of that actually turns water into wine, y'all. 
<laughs> so if you were going to go look at natural things, purely natural things, then they would have to go and pluck some grapes, press them, drain them, ferment them. That's the natural process. But what happens when you invite God's miraculous into it is that expedited action takes place. They put the water. They drew the water. They brought it to the, to the host. But Jesus made the water wine. And then what we need to realize is that the hugest miracle over here wasn't actually the water turning into wine. The biggest miracle here is stated in verse 11. Verse 11 says the following. You go ahead, Ryan. And his disciples believed in him. The biggest miracle was turning hearts that doubt into hearts that believe. That was the biggest miracle. And that remains the reason why God does miracles. One of the primary reasons, apart from revealing himself to us, is helping us to believe in him. So I want to ask you two questions today. First is, what problems are you currently facing? What challenges are you currently facing? And how can that become an opportunity for you to know God better? How can that cause you to know God better? The second question I want to ask you is, how is he inviting you to co-labor with him in that? How is he inviting you? What's he asking you to do? How does he want you to respond in faith? Let's all stand. As we come to an end, I want to let you know that I'm going to pray right now. But then I want us to take some time. If you need people to pray with you, we're going to open up the area in the front here for us to, to pray over one another. And if you want me and my wife <clears throat> to pray with you, we'll be here. But remember, this house is, is not built on a personality. This house is built on a family. There are people right there next to you that might be willing to pray with you if you would just dare ask them. So let's all close our eyes right now and just ask the Holy Spirit to help us become aware of Him. Holy Spirit, we, we truly just want to just press in a little bit and realize Your, your presence is here to, to confirm Your Word with incredible miracles. Father, I pray that you would meet each and every one of us at that point of opportunity. That you would reveal yourself powerfully to us as a church family. That we might not just know you with information, but we might know you in revelation. That every bit of teaching that we have had before that we know cannot transform our lives will become a revelation 
that will transform us to become more like you, to be able to trust you more. So this is an opportunity for you right now to just, where you are, just spend a minute. And why don't you clearly state to God, what is the problem that you're facing right now? Thank you, Lord. Don't let this moment go by. Take a moment in quiet reflection and just speak to God from your heart. What is it that you need Him to help you with? If you're getting an idea right now of something that you could do, that's usually how the Holy Spirit starts pointing you into a direction of co-laboring. If you're starting to hear Him give you options or, or just even in affirming you and saying, it's going to be okay. That's how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Through our spirit, we hear Him in our heart saying these things to us. This is an invitation for you to act. So I want to teach you how to respond in this moment. Number one, you respond with thanksgiving. So go ahead and thank Him for speaking to you. Just being with you. And then you start making plans on how to act out that that he showed you. Think for yourself, how can you act on what you heard him say right now? I promise you, when you start acting on things that you hear from God in prayer like this, the miraculous will start breaking through in your life on a regular basis. Heavenly Father, thank you for breaking through into our reality. Thank you for making yourself known in the most practical, the most normal of ways and moments. Thank you that you, you don't need hype to perform miracles. You don't even need great faith. You need quiet trust. And action. Obedience. Father, so I pray a blessing over each person here today. That they will truly learn how to spend time in moments like this with you. In their private time. And hear from you what they need to do. How you want them to participate. In bringing about miracles in their lives. I thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Jesus.